Hi, Meredith, and welcome to Skills for Mars. I'm really, really thrilled to be hosting you. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I love the concept of your podcast, Skills for Mars, The Future of Work. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same here because you've been doing so much lately. You are really passionate about remote work and you're really trying to change the way we work right now. Future of Work is also one of the topics you always talk about. Leadership, another one. So I'm really thrilled to be having this discussion. Looking forward to it. Especially an international conversation. I love how this change is going around the world and we're making those connections all over the world. It's fantastic. Yes. Before anything, would you be okay to introduce yourself, a bit of your background, what you do on a day-to-day basis so everyone gets to know you better? Sure, absolutely. Uh, my name is Meredith Turney, and I live in Austin, Texas, Hook'em Horns. That's our local football team here. <laughs> so I love Austin, I'm a native Texan, and I have an interesting story. I was actually remote before remote was cool. Uh, I was actually homeschooled back in the 90s. So I was doing remote work back in the good old days. And actually, I, I went to law school, and I did a hybrid program where I was doing distance learning through my law school. And this is back before the internet was even what it is today, before YouTube, all those kind of things. So I have a lot of experience doing distance learning and remote work. And for the last nine years, I've worked with a nonprofit based out of Washington, DC, where I am a remote worker. So I've worked from Austin, even though our headquarters is in Washington, DC. And I work with nonprofits all across the country in public policy. And I coach them on their leadership capacity and their communications and marketing. And then this year, I became a certified professional coach. And so now I do conscious leadership coaching, where I help people become leaders. And what I mean by conscious leadership is really stepping into their ability to connect with other people and bring awareness to everything that they're doing. So very, being very mindful in what they're doing. So uh, it's been a long journey. I've had a lot of experience in politics and policy and the nonprofit worlds. And now my passion, like you said, is to really focus on how can we make the workplace work for everyone? Because unfortunately, I see a lot of people, it's not really working for everyone. So that's my mission now is to change the workplace. You're also a blogger and this started just recently. Yes. So yeah, I've been a writer uh, pretty much my whole life. I love writing. It's one of my passions. But earlier this year, when the pandemic was unfolding across the world, and it was hitting here in the United States, I saw a lot of people were struggling with, oh my goodness, how do I do do this remote work thing? And I thought, well, I've been doing this for a long time. I do have some tips. And I also want to see the workplace change and embrace remote work. So I'm going to start sharing some tips and best practices. How can you incorporate conscious leadership into your remote team? And uh, yeah, the newsletter has been doing really well. I send it out twice a week. I have it on Substack, which is a fantastic platform. I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, I just share a lot of techniques on uh, for people who are new to this whole, how do you manage a team? How do you set up your office? All these different things that have to do with being a remote worker. Meredith, I always ask myself this question, when do you find time to do everything? Because you have a (laughs) full-time job, (laughs) you take care of your consulting business, you're a blogger, you're ghostwriting as well. So when do you find time to do everything? You know, it's a really good question. I think a lot of it has to do with structure and organization. I'm meticulous about my calendar. There's this fantastic executive coach that I worked with for several years. And he always said, if it's not on your calendar, it's not in your heart. So if you really want something to happen, put it on your calendar. And I will say having a consistent pattern, 
I am committed. I'm going to send my newsletter every Tuesday and every Friday. So that means even if Monday night at midnight, if I have not written it, it's going to get done. So you have to find those patterns. And then again, putting it on your calendar and making, taking those blocks of time where you say, this is the hour I'm going to spend writing my newsletter or focusing on this and really just scheduling it all out has, has helped me immensely. And do you schedule it one week ahead or do you schedule it one day ahead? You know, I'm the way that I write is kind of interesting. I draw inspiration from what I'm reading. I'm a voracious reader. So I'm always reading articles and content, listening to podcasts like we were talking about. Uh, so I like to draw inspiration for what's going on that week, even sometimes from coaching sessions. Like if I'm coaching someone and they say something really interesting that grabs my attention, I'll write down what they said. And then that gives me inspiration for a whole article or a whole newsletter. And so mine are usually written a day or two ahead of time because I just like to have that fresh content that's top of mind. Got it. One thing to ask you, we were, I was just talking yesterday with a friend and he got to a point where he managed to integrate life and work very nicely. And it's mm -hmm. the same for me, but I've been working remote for 10 years. Are you an integrator? Are you a segmenter? Do you like to keep things separate, work and life? How does it happen for Meredith? Yeah, I think the integrator would be an awesome goal to get to, but I feel like I'm more of a segmenter. So I know a lot of people who are starting remote work, it's difficult for them because they're, they're saying, okay, I'm in my house. Uh, and it's hard for them to cut off and say, okay, at five o'clock, I'm just going to go do my exercise, cook my dinner, spend time with my family. It's hard for them. And so the pattern that I developed, especially because I've been doing remote work for nine years, is I want to be more disciplined about it. So I come in, I have my rituals of, you know, walking from my bedroom, doing all the stuff I do in the morning, coming in here, opening up my laptop, doing my work. And I'm pretty much here at my desk all day, like I would be in an office. But then at a certain point, I say, okay, I'm done for the day, close my laptop, and I leave. And then I don't really come back into my office space again until I'm ready to work again. And I think it's really important to have those boundaries because if, if, especially if you struggle with that, some people just love it. They can go all long, all day long, but I think that leads to burnout if you need to have more segmented. So that's, I, that's how I structure it for myself. Yeah, I feel you. I'm more of an integrator myself. So, so for me, it's, I'm always doing, yeah, combining everything, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are very right uh, regarding burnout because you can easily, easily, easily get, get very tired and very stressed. So I do need to segment time in the day or in the week when I'm not doing anything related to work. So I can yeah, just refresh myself, refresh my mind and just take time off. Yeah. And you can segment it however you want. So if you're a freelancer, maybe you integrate for three days and then maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you segment, you say, I'm only going to work for these, this amount of hours. Cause it's so important to have that downtime. Like we were saying, I draw inspiration from what I'm reading or what I'm listening to. And I need that time where I'm not sitting here working where I can just go explore and feed my mind and kind of let my mind wander. And so we need that downtime. Definitely. Is it the mornings for you or the afternoons? Where are you more uh, prone to being creative? I am not a morning person. So <laughs> I'm not going to be creative in the mornings. Uh, I tend to find that I like to write. I tend to be more creative, I think, in the afternoons. I, that's when I like to write. Although, I, I, like I said, sometimes my newsletters, if I haven't written it, I will usually do it like in the late afternoon, early evening. Uh, because then I've gotten a lot of my basic stuff I need to get done during the day. And now I have the time to like, let my mind wander. I don't have like phone calls or emails or I'm like, okay, this is my time where I can write. So it's usually in the afternoon, evening time. Cool. It's really funny, right? See, this is why I love remote work. 
Because if the two of us would be working in the same team, we would be working 24-7 because mm -hmm. I'm a morning person. <laughs> Yes. So I'm really the best time for me to sit and read and write and do anything creative is early morning. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if I have me emails, I can shut it off. Like, I don't care <laughs> up to a certain hour, like, like nine or 10, unless I have a, a client meeting already set up, I, I don't open anything. I wake up at seven, then I do my stuff and then I'm uh, off to work. Yeah. And that's why asynchronous communication is so important for a remote team is because each team member is going to have their own strengths and their own work patterns. And so using a tool like Basecamp or whatever it is that you use for your team, letting everybody have their own workflows and patterns and knowing, okay, this is our deadline. But within that, we have some flexibility of how we're going to get there. That's so powerful for a remote team is having that asynchronous communication. But don't you feel that's so hard to attain? I mean, the clients I've been working with, and they are not startups, they are big companies who've been alive for a long time and they've been very much used to working in the office. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very hard for them to go asynchronous. Things it's, get lost in the email, in different files, uh, shared on different platforms that no one knows about. Things happen in the office that no one talks about uh, virtually and vice versa. It's very hard to work asynchronously with them. Yeah, I think if you have been doing something a certain way for so long, it's just your patterns. It's it's just integrated into who you are and how you do things. And it is challenging to jump over to a new way of being. It's not impossible. And there's been a lot of research done uh, on this. I'm a big fan of uh, Robert Keegan. He has a, work, a book, um, The Everyone Culture and also Immunity to Change. He's a Harvard professor and researcher. And he talks about for so long, we thought, oh, we, we basically stop learning after college and he's totally busted that myth. We keep learning throughout life as adults and our, we do have, you know, the, the plasticity in our, in our brains. We can learn to do new, new things, but it has to be a team effort. Everyone has to come together and be committed and say, yes, we're all committed to learning, to doing things in a new way. And I think only then can it be possible to, to make that jump over to the asynchronous remote team model. Yeah, for sure. And I think a bit of embracing of what others have been doing regarding uh, tacit knowledge and really being able to document what they do so everyone gets a chance to review that information once they go in. And Yeah, um, yeah. and like this, those patterns that we had in the office place of, oh, just walking by the water cooler, which is such an antiquated thing to say, but it's, it's true. It's not the term we use. Uh, you know, all those things that we used to just take for granted. I, I don't want to say we were lazy about it. It was just, it was just natural. It was organic and how it happened. It's like, we have to be more intentional about things. And I almost liken it to kind of like when you're dating, things just kind of like you naturally are just very affectionate and things are just flowing and they're organic. And then as you get married and start having kids, you have to be more, you have to be more intentional about the romance. You have to be more intentional about certain things. And I almost think it's the same way with going remote is you have to be more intentional about things that at one point just seem more organic. Uh, did you hear what Laszlo Bog, did you read anywhere? Because I read it, I didn't hear him talk. Uh, what he did to really copy the water cooler, but virtually. No, I haven't heard this. So uh, it's, it's really simple. It's, it's extremely simple. He leaves a Zoom or a Google Hangouts a meeting open. Uh -huh. all the time so everyone can just go in whether they have five minutes and they just want to see one of their colleagues and say hi or exchange some information or complain about something share some frustrations anything it's just uh -huh. a meeting which is always open yeah so i've heard people call that office hours where they literally just open up a zoom room 
or whatever platform they're using. And then they're just sitting there. And I've heard of people that, you know how they have those apps where you can listen to like background noise. It sounds like a, a workplace or a coffee shop. I've seen groups, teams actually do this where they will all call into Zoom together and they're just all sitting there typing. Like they're just literally, but they, they all, it's just having that comfort of knowing your team's there around you virtually. I've seen people do that with success. But at the same time, they talk about Zoom fatigue. So if I talk to my <laughs> friends, everyone is complaining that they're always in front of the camera and that they are so tired. I'm sure yeah. you've heard it as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. And there's been research done. I think Microsoft has done some research on this, that I think it's about an hour to end of the day. If you've got a whole day of Zoom calls ahead of you, you get that fatigue hitting around hour two. And so then if you have like four more hours of calls, people start to get anxious and kind of stressed about it. So what I've seen people doing is being strategic about when you need Zoom calls and when you don't. Because if you think about it, even before this all happened and people went remote before the pandemic hit, people were mostly doing phone calls. If they weren't in-person meetings, you were probably calling someone from your office and having a phone call with them. You can still do that. You don't have to make everything a Zoom call. <laughs> so figuring out one of those things when you need to be face-to-face -face and see someone's face, like maybe a review or an important meeting. But then the rest of the time, do a phone call. And here's, here's a quick hit about... Um, a hint about my coaching, I actually do most of my coaching via the phone because I find that if you're face-to-face, -face, it's a little bit distracting, especially if I'm like looking at the client. And so if we're on the phone, there's not as much of that stress or that like being on the spot and they can kind of let their mind wander and not have to worry about what they're, what, how they're looking to me. So I actually do a lot of my coaching calls over the phone and it's super effective. And I actually want to ask you, because I'm the only one, at least in my circle of recruiters, that really likes doing things over the phone when I run recruitment, rather than having them uh, via Zoom, at least the first calls. Are you not more connected and able to listen to their energy, to the change in the flow of, of their tone? And, and you can really listen if they like something or don't like something, something that you don't really see or you miss on camera because you have so many data points. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, when I started my coaching program, actually, uh, that was one of the things they told us is when you start doing your coaching sessions and you're practicing, always do it over the phone because they wanted to attune us, just like you said, to the energy of the voice. Is their energy shifting? Are they getting excited? Are they getting sad? Um, also letting them pause if they need to stop and think. That can be kind of awkward if you're looking at someone, but if they don't feel your, your eyes on them, they're more inclined to, to pause and really think about things. So you're, you're spot on. I think it's almost like those superpowers where if some people are like blind, all of a sudden their hearing gets super sensitive or their taste gets really sensitive. Um, it's that same thing. You're focusing on the auditory. You're focusing on one aspect of your senses and really attuning that to the other person. So it can be very powerful. As we are talking about remote and somehow I feel that we try to intend to say, hey, with a bit more discipline, with a bit more planning, if you think if this is really face-to-face -face is needed or not, uh, pick up the phone. I think these are easy things to do, but there's a reason behind what why people don't do it and feel that they are burned out and still on that hamster wheel you are talking about in one of your blogs as well. I'm not sure, but in my mind, a lot of people fear that if they're not on camera where everyone is in the meeting, even if they're not supposed to be there, they, uh, they, there's a fear of missing out. Maybe there's a fear of not being seen and at some point not being promoted because they're not being seen and they don't have the right exposure to the right people. 
maybe there's a fear of losing jobs, especially right now in uh, COVID, mm -hmm. right? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's something that we're going to have to start figuring out moving forward because this is the biggest remote work experiment in world history. <laughs> so a lot of us, like you and I, we've been doing this for a while. So we kind of have our patterns. We kind of know what works for us. And that was even before COVID. So we, we knew we could do things differently than we can now. We're in such a, a surreal environment right now. But I think a lot of people are having to figure out, okay, what does this look like moving forward? Like I was reading an article the other day about internships this summer and how are people structuring internships where usually you would be in an office with the boss, the CEO, and you could get that exposure and, and see how they do things. And now they're sitting in their home office or their home, their bedroom for some interns and not getting that kind of interaction. And so some companies are finding ways, like the thing we were just talking about, like having those office hours or people are happy hours or whatever it is. And I think it is something that moving forward, we're going to figure out how do you, how do you advance in your career in a remote setting? And I think from my opinion, my perspective, one of the things is it always has to be a two-way conversation. So finding out what is it that your boss needs to know about you in order to be to know to be secure that you're doing your job well. Is it reporting? Is it having a touch point? Um, is it hitting your metrics? What are those things? And then also being very like what I was talking about earlier, some things that were organic in the past, we have to be more intentional about them. So it may mean having some uncomfortable conversations, but being intentional and saying, these are my career aspirations. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. How do I get there in a remote setting? And it's something that I think management and leaders are going to have to have that conversation with their teams. And that's what, that's uh, where I was getting to as well. This really needs a change in leadership from knowing how to listen more, how to understand and be empathetic to understanding how to measure performance and output and not necessarily measuring people but how by how much they have been in the office and how much you have mm -hmm. seen them in meetings or anywhere else yeah you are dealing with them how do you do you feel things are changing right now uh during covid and maybe they will stay and change after covid i think it depends on the leader. <laughs> so what I'm seeing is some leaders are open to change. They are not immune to change. You know, to use that term that I used earlier, uh, they're more open to it. And so they're saying, okay, let's figure this out. And we're going to do it as a team. And so again, it's that two-way conversation of, I want to hear from you. And then you're going to hear from me and going back and forth. I have encountered some leaders who are still kind of what I call the command and control type mentality. If I don't see you sitting at your desk, you must not be working. Well, you don't know. They could be on Reddit. They, like, they could be doing something on there, like shopping on Amazon. You don't know what they're doing at their desk unless you're spying on them. It, it comes down to how much do you trust your employees and how clear have you made the deadlines and the goals? If, if you don't have those clearly set, then, then it's all going to be based on how many hours. And that that's just not effective. It should be more about have you set clear goals? Does everyone understand the intent and then how, how quickly are you getting there? And that's what it should all be about is not the hour spent, but how quickly did you get to the goal? For sure. And what do you see in your practice when you are coaching leaders? Are there some activities, some tools, some exercises that work better to build that empathy, the trust, the understanding for, for their employees and their teams? Yeah, it's a really great question. And uh, the coaching that I do, it, it, we don't, I don't use so much of like uh, certain tools or anything. I go more into finding out what is going on between their ears. <laughs> so in other words, 
uh, I start asking them very pointed questions about uh, their level of consciousness. Like, are you aware of how you're showing up with your employees? Are you aware that when you give this amount of work, it's stressing them and they can't get it done in the amount of time that you have given them to get this done? And a lot of it just has to do with just not, have, not having awareness, which is what consciousness is. It's about being aware of who you are internally. Because honestly, let's get down to the point here, uh, to the brass tacks. This is about fear. The employer has fear that they're paying you for something that you're not doing. Well, that goes back to, did you hire the right person? And also, why do you have that fear? Is it because of something going on inside of you? I mean, I would, I would turn it back on you and look inside of you. Why as a leader do you have that issue or that concern? You should have confidence. You've hired the right people. They're going to do the job. They're, they are on your team. They're going to be moving you forward towards your goals. And if not, I think you need to look at yourself as a leader and figure out why do I not have those team members on my team? For sure, why you are not even having the skill to understand if can I trust them or not, or at least to let go and say, okay, I'm going to give them this uh, this chance. Yeah, once, mm -hmm. One time, two times, three times, of course, they're going to make mistakes. Are they learning anything? Are they developing new skills? Are they doing anything better the next time? Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's a coach mentality. I'm all about conscious leadership, which integrates coaching skills into how you lead your team. And so if something's not working, you're going to know that pretty quickly. Like if they're missing deadlines or they're not getting the work out, then it's okay. Looking in really, okay, how am I feeling as a boss, as a leader, how, what's, what's going on with me? And then going to that teammate and saying, Hey, there's something going on here. Not being accusatory, just, Hey, there's something going on here. How can I help you? How can we make this better? Instead of coming in and saying like, you're going to lose your job or why aren't you getting this done and just get it done coach it through, find out what's going on and help coach them forward. Because most people I have found, they're ambitious. They, they want to be the best version of themselves. They, they want to be accomplished. And if not, maybe they're not the right person for your team or they're not in the right spot. <laughs> maybe they need to be on a different team. But most people I have found want to be successful and they want to, they want to do well. And so coach them towards that. I'm curious, what's the state of leadership in the U.S. and where you work in Austin? I was talking um, with someone from Japan and there, as you said, it's very much uh, directive. It, they're very much operational, command and control, and they're, very, they're having hard times changing that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think what we're seeing right now, and I, I don't, I think this started before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic has accelerated it, is, is employees are looking for more of that empathetic leadership. And I've even seen things like chief empathy officer as like headlines on Harvard Business Review articles. Uh, this is something that people are starting to embrace because people are tired of that. They don't want the command and control. It does not resonate. That might have worked like in the industrial age when you had to like, you know, get a certain product out the door. <laughs> But we're in the knowledge age now, the information age, where it's all about Um, emotional intelligence. And those are the, um, you know, there's these exist, there's uh, permanent skills and expiring skills. An expiring skill is knowing, okay, this is how an Excel, Excel spreadsheet works. A permanent skill is things like empathy, um, emotional intelligence, knowing how to coach someone forward. These are all skills that if you develop that now, it's going to serve you throughout the rest of your career. And it's going to be just as relevant 100 years from now. And so I think people are demanding that now. They want to see employers who aren't just, did you get that project done? It's, hey, I know you've got your kids at home. And I know this pandemic, you could have a sick loved one at home. But we still need to get that project out the door. How can I empower you to get this done without you going crazy or being stressed? 
that's the kind of leadership we're looking for. And I think we're seeing a shift towards it, but we're not quite there yet. Well, for sure. But my hope is that remote will accelerate that. As it will accelerate, really understanding and practicing empathy, really understanding and practicing trust, uh, autonomy and giving your people the, the, the freedom to do what they want and let them be creative and come up with, uh, with ideas. I think it's a good exercise, even if it's forced. It's a good exercise to practice all those things and get better at them. Because before, there was no reason to change drastically. Now there is a reason to change drastically. Yeah, I mean, if there's any silver lining of this horrible global pandemic, it is that it is causing people to step back and examine. We were doing things that were making us unhealthy. Like we have been in an unhealthy place with work, the hours we work, the expectations that we have. Uh, and even forcing people to go like drive, you know, commute an hour into a downtown. And now we've realized, oh, we really don't need to do that. Maybe you only need to come downtown once a week for some important meetings. And the rest of the time you can get it done at home. So that is something that has come out of this, I hope, like you were mentioning, that this is going to be the path forward of figuring out, like I said, a workplace that works for everyone, not just, well, this is the way it's always been. So of course it has to be this way. I hate that mentality. <laughs> I hate that mentality. Well, this is how we've always done it. So of course we're going to keep doing it this way. Yeah, but it's not serving everyone. Let's let's read. Let's rethink this. Let's think about ways to serve everyone. And you know, as you were speaking, something came to my mind. Uh, the reason that I think employers kind of revert to the command and control is again because they fear they're going to be taken advantage of. That they think, oh, like if I let someone work from home. They're going to be, um, you know, playing Fortnite and eating chocolates and not working. Okay, well, you do need to set up systems to make sure that expectations are met, but you need to be clear about those expectations. And then, like you said, let the people be creative, let them figure it out. And I think you'll see people blossom and flourish when you give them that kind of freedom. For sure. But um, I read and I was talking to Professor Obel about cheating when remote. And apparently, if as you as you said, if there are not the right systems in place, and there's not something intentional and designed, so people can focus on their work and have goals that they have to attain, and so on, this does tend to happen <laughs> more often than when you're face to face. It's a uh, yeah. He's done some very interesting uh, research on that. I love that term, cheating while remote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And, you know, I think there's some of the things that I have seen, actually, articles that I've read and some, some comments that I've heard from people is uh, they struggle being alone. Like just, you know, in, if, like I was homeschooled, so I'm used to like working here by myself and doing all this. But for some people, they like to have people around them. It kind of like it, it triggers that, okay, now I'm in work mode. Now I'm working. And they're struggling and it's true. And so I think as a leader, you need to figure out, okay, what's going to help that employee be successful? Because there are, some, let's face it, there are some people that are very extroverted, that want to be around people. They're going crazy right now because they feel sequestered in their homes. So what are those ways that, again, you can empower that employee to get what they need to be successful? And sometimes it's just they never learned how to be successful working on their own. And so how can you help them? Maybe it's a hybrid system, or maybe they just need to get some coaching and training on how to be a self-starter and figure out how to do structure their day. And that's where like a remote coach would come in, a remote team coach, someone like that can help come help them figure out how do I set up the systems that serve me well. And I think it's also a matter of getting used to it. Mm -hmm. So from my own experience, I come from a family that's very noisy. 
So whenever I had something, <laughs> whenever I had something to learn when I was in school, I don't know, the vacuum cleaner would start, my sister would start crying or shouting or whatever. Then I worked in an open space, like really with hundreds of people, even if I was doing recruitment. We were hundreds at the same floor. Everyone was talking. When I went wow. remote, I went directly from that to working at home with no one surrounding me. And it took me about a, an year to really learn to sit down more than 20, 30 minutes. Because every 20, 30 minutes I would get up. I needed to do something. I needed to hear some music, talk to someone, and then go back. Yeah. And maybe for some it's just too early, right? For some the lockdown started somewhere in March, maybe in some places even April. And we're just in, in uh, September. So maybe just you just need one or two or three more months, but intentionally trying to focus and learn how to work remote. I think maybe. that is so true. One of my closest friends here in Austin works for a digital marketing agency and uh, she's in leadership there. And so I went, I, I saw her back in March and all of this was starting to happen. And she was saying, oh, I hate this. I hate working from home. This is horrible. I can't wait to get back. Okay, so then fast forward, I think it was June or July, a few months later, Meredith, I never want to go back. I love working remote. It's the best thing ever. I can't believe I, I, I can't believe I wasn't doing this before. So I think you're totally right. I think sometimes it takes time to just make that transition. For sure. But there is something that's been, it's been put forward actually by uh, the Japanese consultant that I've told you about, right? Mm -hmm. uh, she's, she's a consultant in uh, leadership. And I, I didn't think about it, but then in one of the mornings we had a chat and she goes, so how do we make sure that with all this working remote, we can have the right multicultural experience in multinational teams? Right? So ever since I've been thinking about that and I even told you that, hey, I would like to maybe this debate this with you as well. Where I'm coming from and where she was coming from uh, is that if you leave people to work from anywhere, they might be choosing that they work from a remote forest in an RV and they can get the job done. That's perfect. But maybe they never want to leave the States. And at some point they might have the potential to grow into a global role or even a regional role would they have the right multicultural experience to lead a team that is multicultural? Mm. And how can we make sure they get that? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's one of those things I love. That's why I love talking to you because we're talking about like the future. We're talking about things that we haven't experienced before. And so we're, we're freaking out. How do we do this as we go? It's like we're, we're building the plane as we fly it here. Literally our, our spaceship to Mars and we're building it as we're flying. Um, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to, and this is why I love coaching, uh, especially the kind of coaching that I do is it's all about aptitude. So it's figuring out, I don't think it has, I think experience is important. Yes, that's, that's important, but I think it comes down to who are you as a person? Like how curious are you? How open are you to other cultures? How conscious are you of other cultures? How conscious are you of the impact that you have on other people when you say certain things? Um, you know, my husband is from Venezuela so uh, it's fun to be in an intercultural, intercultural uh, relationship because he says things or he does things. And I'm like, wow, that's so different than how we do things here in Texas. So <laughs> it's just fun. But a lot of it, it has nothing to do with like experience. It has to do with, I love him and I'm curious and I'm open. And those are all qualities that anyone can learn. Anyone can learn how to have those qualities and step into that kind of leadership and being open to those kind of different possibilities. And I think if you step into leadership that is very curious 
and open and consensus building and looking for the win-win for everyone, you'll succeed no matter what culture you're working with. For sure. Do you think that talking about your experience with uh, with your husband, that actually living with him and seeing him face to face and f- seeing from his actions and the way he behaves, that he has good intentions, even if he does things differently, or that he's very sure of himself that the result will be a good one, right? You can, you can sense that in a person. Do you think that plays a role? And whereas if you are remote, you don't have all of those clues. So it's going to be harder to manage teams remotely, multicultural teams remotely, without actually experiencing that other culture. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So when I first met him, we met online. He was my Spanish teacher. Uh, Living in Venezuela, my Spanish teacher, and I fell in love with him online. Like it was just conversations like this that you and I are having. Um, And so I I felt like I knew him. So when I actually met him in person, yes, I physically got to see him and experience his energy in person. But by that time, I pretty much knew who he was. I knew by the time that he landed here in Austin, I was like, if if we click in person, we're gonna get married. I just, I knew it. So that happened virtually and I was able to sense that. And so I think our abilities to sense those kind of things are going to improve as we move forward and we get used to these kind of formats of, of virtual or on the phone. We're gonna get used to that. But I, I think there's a certain point when this pandemic wanes and we all start traveling again, I think it is important to get out there and do kind of a hybrid approach of yes, you can be virtual, but I do think we do need to have those in-person meetings. We're still gonna, we're gonna go back to going to conferences. We're going to go to meetings. We're going to travel. I think it's important to get that diversity of experiences. So I think that will be an important key in learning how to manage and lead multicultural teams. I really hope that this is going to happen. Like <laughs> and why I'm saying that is that I, I had the podcast with uh, Sujin Young from INSEAD. So the way researchers look at multiculturality is... If you have spent four or five years in that culture, then you are considered to be aware of that particular place and how people behave and how they think. And at that point, you can actually build those bridges, mm-hmm. right? Between different cultures in your team, in the regions and, and so on. It did feel when she was talking about four or five years that, hey, that's quite a long time. Maybe not so much is needed, maybe. Right, uh, but that's that's the way they look at the, they 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 do the research. Uh, but I'm wondering if can we go from four or five years to just building empathy, listening skills, being open, and getting that right? Or- yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, and I don't know. I mean, I would hope that in the future, when it comes to remote work. Uh, you know, it's so interesting. hundred years ago, people never moved more than like 20 miles away from where they were born. And now we've got people that are born in the U.S. Maybe they, they go work in London or they go work in Tokyo. And so I think moving forward, as we see more remote work options, people are going to be more mobile. They're going to move around. We've already seen the digital nomad movement. And so who knows? Uh, I think we're seeing more... Um, Cultures are becoming more integrated, I think. Like, for example, my husband, who grew up in Venezuela, he still knew all the U.S. movies. Like, he has a lot of our music. And uh, my parents live in Medellin, Colombia. And so I'm learning a lot about that culture in Colombia and Venezuela, obviously. So I think we're starting to see people being more open to different cultures. I mean, especially with social media. 
you can learn a lot of different things about different cultures just by being on social media. So I don't know what the answer is, but I think we are going to see people who are more mobile and wanting to go to different parts. I would love to like travel and like live in Australia for a year and live in London for a year, like do all these different things. So I, I don't know what that's going to mean as far as leadership and management. But I, again, I think it comes back to those core principles of being a conscious leader of, are you curious? Are you aware of how you impact people? Are you sensitive to those different cultures? And are you listening, not coming in and saying, this is how we do it in the US, you're gonna do it the same way here in Japan. Listen to them, find out what works for them and then figure out how to integrate that into achieving the goals you need to achieve. For sure, and I wasn't looking for answers uh, because I don't <laughs> think any, yeah, for, uh, not, not at all. I was mostly looking for another opinion than mine and Karen's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rachel I don't know that I know me. either. It's like I said, we're kind of building this plane, a spaceship as we're flying it. Uh, but I, I see, I just, I feel like this generation, especially the younger generations, are more open to that. They want to know, like, how do they do things in Saudi Arabia? How do they do them in Russia? Like, I think people are just more, we're thinking a little bit more globally. And like, we're looking at things more like as human beings, not so much as us versus them. And we see that at the political level right now. But I feel like in general, human beings want to get along with other human beings. We want to serve each other. We want to help each other. We want a peaceful, prosperous world. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that in the political space right now. Unfortunately, but again, it's election year and some countries. Yeah, things are more hiking during election years. Yes, for exactly. sure. <laughs> it's more intense, especially in this weird year that we're in. Things are definitely more intense than usual. Meredith, from your experience and from the coaching you are doing right now, where do you think remote work still has some pain points. I'm not asking if it's going to fail because I think that in all of the areas we can do something given the technology, given the desire, we can do something to solve and make remote work work. But what are the pain points that you think, hey, we really need to address this because otherwise yeah. it's going to hurt? Yeah, the biggest thing that I'm hearing from people right now is the lack of what they feel is like team creativity. So coming together and having those brainstorming sessions, uh, people feel like they're kind of using losing those, those connections that they had where they would all gather in a certain room and brainstorm and do those kind of things. So I know that there are some really smart people working in the space like um, Basecamp and uh, we use something called Concept Board. Uh, so there are, there are leaders, like companies that are figuring this out. And I think they're rising to the occasion. We're going to see some new products coming out over the next few years, some new studies on how to do this remotely. But right now what I'm hearing is we're just not getting that, that synergy that we used to have on creativity and brainstorming. And that's the main thing that I'm hearing as far as this isn't working for us. And is it because, because I've seen two different camps. Uh, one camp that says that creativity and getting that synergy you were just talking about is very, very hard. And I've seen the other camp who's really happy to be doing this remote. And they say that, hey, no, actually, uh, creativity is where it's supposed to be. Uh, we can brainstorm. Uh, we are using this and this tool and it works. From what you're seeing from those that for, for which is not working, is it a matter of somehow designing that meeting for creativity and not letting other discussions take that place and not being able to channel maybe that synergy because it's not pre-designed to do that? Or mm -hmm. why, why, why is it still a pain point? If yeah, they I gave do any. wonder, it, it's a good point. And I do wonder how much of it has to do with, um, going back to the whole concept of immunity to change. Is there 
are there certain people who are just so entrenched and like, this is how we have to be created. We have to be in person doing this. Um, and if we don't do it this way, we're not going to get the results that we want. I just attended a conference last week. We had a thousand people online as virtual conference. It went really well. Everyone had a great time, but there were certain people that said, yeah, but it just wasn't the same. Just wasn't the same. And it's true. It's not the same. (laughs) It's different. It's different, but it can be a good different. You can figure out different ways of doing things that give you the same results that you want without it having to be the same. So I wonder how much of it just might be a mental block, like a limiting belief that, oh, because we're not doing it this way, we're not getting the results we want. And, you know, uh, a lot of times with great inventions, they failed several times trying to figure out how do we create the light bulb? How do we create the iPhone? Whatever it was, they failed several times and you're going to fail several times. You have to keep iterating, keep moving forward until you hit the results that you want. And that's going to look different for every single team, I think. And I hope that's the one other thing that we're going to learn by moving remote, experimenting, taking note of what has happened, iterating, changing, and going back again and not being afraid to fail. Because yeah. especially in some companies, it's very, very hard to fail. Everything needs to be perfect from the from the get-go. Otherwise, yeah, you've maybe lost your promotion. <laughs> and again, that goes back to leadership. Why would someone lose a promotion because they tried something and it didn't work out? I mean, I think, you know, you talk about agility, uh, it's going to, like, this is going to increase, I think, over the next few decades. The only thing we're going to be able to rely on is change. <laughs> the only constant is going to be change. And it's going to be, it's the, the change loop is going to be so much faster as we move forward. And so you're going to have to learn as a leader and as an employee, how to keep up with those changes and stay calm and not panic and freak out. And say, okay, I know change is constant. How can I be on the cutting edge? How can I be okay with the changes? And look for those areas that give you, that that ground you, that keep you grounded, even though change is going to be happening very quickly. What are those things that give you that sense of, I'm okay? I'm okay, even through all of this change. I've got this part of my life that's secure. And that way I can keep up with the change that's happening. Because I think this is something we have to buckle in for for the next few decades is how, ch- how quickly change is going to be happening. And I really love your tip about finding something that is stable. Mm-hmm. Because at some point you need to maybe jump on, a, on, on another board, but a, a board that will keep you floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's your family or maybe it's a hobby or uh, you know, whatever, some outlet that you have, something that keeps you stable. Uh, maybe it's that you just, you own a home. And this is my home space. And even though I go out and I travel, I can always come back to home base. So finding out what is it that thing that gives you that sense of stability. So even though things are kind of churning over here and kind of, and this is like my own secret, like even though things are changing and happening, I know I can always go back to, to writing and to reading and those things that kind of like are my safety blanket, my security blanket. These things give me that sense of security. And then even though things are changing out here, I have that home base. I think it's going to be important for people Moving forward to have that. For sure. And maybe one other thing is to try and experiment change every day, even if it's changing the food you are eating or the, the restaurant or whatever, a small thing that you maybe yeah. don't feel comfortable doing, but try anyway. It keeps your brain young. You yes. know, even like uh how you wash the dishes, like maybe reversing the or you know, doing something different, like how you do the sponge or whatever it is, just um, you know, I think it was even Bill Gates one time that said that he finds a different way to walk 
to his house, like to his, through his office or something. Every day. And it was, it was just to keep his brain nimble and thinking, and cause we get so into patterns and this goes back to that whole thing of, well, my meetings aren't working remotely. That's because you're in a pattern of how you used to do things and you can't just replicate what you did. It's not just replicate. You need to recreate. This requires creativity, which requires more brain power and more space. You can't really create when you're stressed, right? So you've got to decrease that stress, you know, find your home base, find the things that give you that comfort. And then from that stability, you can start creating and recreating things. For sure. Do you like mindfulness? Do you do any sort of uh, mindfulness yeah. practices? Okay. Absolutely. Before we started this podcast recording, I sat here for a few minutes. Um, I did something called the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute training. It was something that started at Google. And it was Google's way of bringing mindfulness into the workplace. And now it's spun off as its own, I think it's a nonprofit. And they go around, they do trainings internationally on how to bring mindfulness into the workplace. And one thing that they recommend people do is right before you head into a meeting and you've just hung up the phone or you're gotten off the Zoom call, you're heading into the next one, stop and take three mindful breaths. You've left that meeting. You're in this present moment. Don't even think about the next meeting. Just be in this moment right now. Get centered again then go into the next meeting fresh instead of like, you know, harried and, oh, stressed from the last meeting, head into the next one on a, a blank slate, totally clean, totally clean canvas, fresh energy. So that's a big tip I'll give to people right there is take three mindful breaths in between your activities and really focus on what you're doing and become present. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do to become present. It is. And it takes practice, but you have to start at some point. And yes. breath exercising is extremely good. And mm -hmm. it's been proven to support everything that you do in your everyday life. I understand that there's a very, very small percentage of people uh, for which mindfulness is hurtful. And extremely small. So yeah, there are certain psychological um, uh, ailments where my mindfulness is not really uh, something that uh, is prescribed. But for the rest of us, it's extremely useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, it's like finding out what works for you. Maybe it's not yeah. your mindful breaths. Maybe it should get up and you just go for a quick walk and just exactly. get 10 minutes of fresh air. Whatever it is that works for you. And there are a million different techniques out there. You just got to go try, like again, try, fail, try, fail, and try, succeed and find the one that works for you. For sure. Meredith, it's been really a pleasure talking with you and I feel we can go on forever. For those that want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can go to my website. It's meredithturney.com or if they're interested in my newsletter, I send out a bi-weekly newsletter where I talk about future of work, remote work, conscious leadership concepts. It's my coaching newsletter and I have it on Substack. So you can go to meredithturney.substack.com And of course, I'm on all the different platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you can go to my website and there's a, I've got the little icons for the different social platforms. So they can go and uh, click on them and follow me on social. But I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners if they have any ideas about the future of work or um, remote work, or if they're interested in conscious leadership coaching, I would love to talk to them about it. For sure. And I'll make sure I post the links as well on YouTube, uh, yeah, Instagram and LinkedIn and all of that. So uh, people know how to reach out. And yeah, I can promise you always reply very, very quickly. <laughs> yes, I do. I love, I love, I love engaging these conversations. Like I said, it's my passion. I want to see a workplace that works for everyone. And when I say workplace, that can be a remote workplace, but that's really my passion is I want to see more conscious leadership in the world. Because I think it's going to revolutionize the world and we're going to work happy. We're going to live happy. We're going to be happy. That's my whole goal. Meredith, thanks, thanks so much. And looking forward to the next newsletters and the next posts on LinkedIn. 
Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks. Fun for me as well.